hanging a garage door? Uh, sorry, say again. I said you're hanging a garage door. I am. I'm actually hanging two garage doors, and I wrapped the jams in aluminum. Uh, and these things are going to turn out super pro because I'm a pro. You're a you're you're a great garage door hanger. I am. Uh, it's going to be super well hung. The most well hung. Yeah. Tremendous. Tremendous. The only garage door hanger in Chicago land not on meth. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's kind of what it sounds like. Uh, so, uh, are you recording right now, Abe? Yeah, I'm. I'm already recording. You know how we start, like right in the middle of a conversation. Right, right. That's always cool. So like, we've right got uh, we've got Scott Robertson on the phone again. Hey, buddy. Yeah. Hello. Did you just say meow? How's it going? <laughs> no. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, hi, Scott. You're traveling from a job site, and we're gonna do. Uh, one of our new shows, which we are calling the Lunch Breakdown. Uh, get it? Lunch Break. And we also do a Build Breakdown kind of thing. So, terrible joke. Uh, yeah. Well, like if it's, if it's anything that you're known for, Adam, it's being clever. So that's... Uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, me and my famous wit. <laughs> I miss Austin. Um, yeah, uh, Austin. Yeah. So I appreciate your uh, your presence at least. I'll be here. I'll be here. You you can get rid of me that easy. So uh, Scott, you've been on the show before, yeah. uh, but you will be yes. the second interviewee for the lunch breakdown format. The first show is, was released on Patreon last week. Um, and this one we're going to release to everybody. So uh, it really, this format is I'm the, designed I'm the to, cheap version. Yeah. Like you're yeah. the one we give out for free. Yeah. Testers or whatever. Give, give, give the people a taste. Uh, okay. So uh, format here is really simple. It's nine questions currently. And it okay. is meant to talk just a little bit about your car, your setup, what mm-hmm. you like about it, what you don't, and what's next. Okay? Okay. So uh, we can nerd out as much or as little as you want. Uh, and we'll awesome. just start from the beginning. So uh, okay. for those who don't already know, what is your car, a car of choice and what have you already used it for? So my car is started its life out as a 2001 Mazda Miata um, with the sport package, which had uh, bigger brakes and a LSD diff. And that was about it. Um, Got it pretty much because the Miata community is huge and the knowledge base is huge uh, simply because I just knew that I wouldn't have a ton of time to do independent research on spring rates and a whole bunch of testing. And so to have a lot of that already done for me, I knew it was going to save me a ton of money and a ton of time um, kind of in the process of building this thing. Um, And then what do I use it for? 
really just uh, it started its life out as a nice summer vehicle for somebody I bought it from and then it kind of turned into a, I knew it was going to be a race car when I bought it the first weekend I had it the entire interior came out of it it didn't have the AC in it for much more than a couple couple weeks of its life uh, but I drove it to work and on nice days and as it's uh, gone down its race car path it's gotten less and less comfortable so I don't I don't do any uh, just trips around very much unless my my kid wants to be driven around in it a little bit um, uh, you, you don't take the uh, the stance of your friend Brian DeFreeze of uh, race cars need <laughs> air conditioning I I don't think he's wrong um, but no, it's, if it's a race car, it can lose the weight. It can lose the complexity. I know Derek likes to, likes to be the, uh, the air conditioned boy on grid and stuff. I just take it out. Just don't need it. And this is coming from somebody who also drives the car on the one lap of America. I'm not saying it's a great idea. I'm just saying it's what I've chosen to do. So, uh, two major, um, competition organizations that you run with are uh, Gridlife and yep. the GLTC series. Uh, that's the wheel-to-wheel series. And yes. uh, One Lap of America. To my knowledge, you are the only GLTC car that drives to and from the events in your race car. Is that true? Um, it's true that we do the One Lap of America and we do... GLTC. Uh, those are pretty much our playgrounds. 2021, as long as it happens, will be the retirement year for the Miata in the One Lap of America. We really want to do it one last time, uh, see where the cars got in her. Um, but then after that, uh, we're going to move on to some different toys for the One Lap. As far as driving the car to GLTC, we're certainly the car that does it the most. I know Nick Steneford. Oh, drove, that's right. I forgot about Nick. Yep. He drove it last year. Um, and I think actually on the same tires that he competed in. That's and yeah. then uh, Brian DeFries, like you said, he uh, he's done quite a few miles on his GLTC car. So there's, there's a handful of us, but not very many. So uh, you, you talked about it being an early Miata. Um, yep. it's been heavily modified at this point. Can you give us a laundry list of the things that you've done to the car and why? Sure. Um, so the first, I, I was very methodical with how I approached this. Um, safety was the first thing I did. Uh, I had the car caged, had seats, six points, uh, got the airbags out and just kind of took care of the whole safety aspect. Now there's a whole controversy on driving it on the street, which I totally understand, but it is what it is at this point. Um, And then I basically kept the rest of it completely stock, except for slightly upgraded brake pads and fluid uh, for a little while. Went to suspension right after that. Um, Kind of once I knew what I was really missing, I moved from there did a set of Super Miata Zeta coilovers and Delrin bushings, sway bars, sway bar end lengths, kind of the whole kitten caboodle there. 
with an alignment. Um, drove that car for well, pretty much a year, year and a half, just as is. Uh, got a little bit better on the brakes. Um, and then last winter was really when a lot of the big, bigger stuff happened. We did the K swap, the Z3 swap, because we were just getting left for dead uh, with our 90 horsepower, whatever it was actually making to the wheels. So we did the Z3 swap, put in the six speed uh, just for durability and reliability. Because we drive the car to the track, having a broken transmission means we can't get home. Uh, I don't like the six speed. Uh, we did a comparison with Emil who uses a five speed at Gingerman. And I wanna say he has to shift six or seven times at Gingerman and I have to shift 12 times. Oh geez, that's a big difference. Yeah, so it's, and, and I know it's hard to quantify that in terms of lap times. I, I can't put a number to it. I know it's affecting it. So the, um, the six speed is from what? It's actually from a Miata, Miata, Mazda Speed Miata. I see. So it's the supposedly the super duper six speed that you could get from an OEM Miata. Um, and with that, we did the 4.1 rear end instead of the 4.3 that we had just to keep our mile or highway RPMs down a little bit because the six speed gears are a little bit shorter. And since we were planning on driving it on the highway and the one lap, we just, we're still at like 4,300 RPM at 80, at 80 miles an hour, I think, or something. That's pretty so close to what, like, the, the, for example, in my Civic, that's pretty close to what it would be running uh, at yeah. 80 in factory trim. Yeah, like yeah. most Civic SIs are like 80 miles an hour is 4,000 RPMs, like every generation. So. Yeah, they're just, they're buzzy. They're meant to be city cars, get good acceleration and worry about the rest later. So, um, I mean, certainly driveline wise, uh, we'd like to make some changes, but while it's also getting us to and from the track, uh, it's going to stay the way it, that it is uh, just to ensure that we can get there and back, basically. So is, is that the extent? of the uh, the work that you'd done? Uh, we did some front end uh, aerodynamics last year. We did kind of the basic Super Miata ABS plat or HDPE plastic front end with an under tray. Um, done just a couple minor things uh, to the interior to kind of make it more livable. Like we've got USB outlets or uh, chargers because we drive this thing, you know, some creature comfort. I think that the biggest one that I get asked the most is uh, the defrost setup. We ended up keeping our uh, heater core on the interior, even though the HVAC's completely gone. And we have that ducted to a boat bilge blower and have that vented and duct right in front of the driver's side. And that has saved our butts on many occasions uh, so highly recommended uh, that that six speed is that that much stronger than the five speed is it is it quite a bit better yes it's basically it's the one 
that you want if you're going to turbo your car. Uh, I know Emil broke his five-speed, you know, but he's also K-swapped at this point. It's just the five-speeds are known to break. You just, you're kind of waiting. The six-speed, I know at the power level we're at, as long as we don't shock it too much, uh, should be fine. So uh, moving on to the next question, I think you mentioned this already, but why did you decide to waste your life and put so much effort into this make and model of car? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, yeah, I just, I go back to knowing what I personally was capable and willing to do. I really... I used to play around with PT cruisers, which is one of the dumber things you can do. I don't know do. that any person has ever said that ever, except no. for you. Um, oh, I I had money into that car too. It was cool while it lasted, but um, yeah, not not something that. But there was so much time and effort I I had into that in terms of um, getting spring rates that actually worked and and kind of paving the way, so to speak, for like the five people who actually cared about that. And I just knew that with my son, with my job, I just wouldn't have that time. I wouldn't have that money to be able to put into um, a random car or something, a path less worn. And the Miatas were inexpensive to get into, just to purchase, double wishbone suspension, you could get an LSD from factory. They're reliable, uh, and the community is huge. And once you kind of know who to pay attention to, there's some deep knowledge in the Miata community running around. So it's, and I'm constantly learning things. I just learned a whole bunch about brake piston sizing this past month. Um, it's been super helpful. So yeah, it's just a good community and certainly helps out my in my weak spots yeah like everybody has tried uh just about everything and they've documented it fairly well so yeah if you're going to do a track thing like that's an easy place to start yeah the the limiting factor which we're certainly running into is just tire selection and tire width in the 23 inch diameter tire game it's getting better uh, you know, Falcon just released their 660 in some wide sizes. Air One's coming out in some super wide sizes. Potentially same with the CR1. So there's some stuff out there. Um, but even on the NB, we're on 245s, and that is as wide as you can get without uh, starting to cut up some fenders and do some do some real work there. So. Um... I think a lot of people would know the answer to this question already, but let's talk about it for you. What yep. is, what is your car do really well on the track um, for, for your style of driving? What does it suck at? Was it suck or what is it good at? Both. Or both. Um, I think my particular car is good at accelerating now. <laughs> Uh, once I did the, the K-swap, uh, I definitely gained power. Um, we are keeping to the street tires, and we're not taking any penalty for aero. So we're allowed to have more power than 
other cars. So that's good. Um, it last year it was pretty good at the entry phase of a corner, uh, as I alluded to with the brake piston learning. Uh, I discovered why my entries have been so terrible this year, and I'm excited to get that fixed for next year so I can uh, hopefully get back to, <laughs> to doing that better. Um, because certainly this year I've not been good under brakes and I've not been good under on entry, which in this caliber of driving class that we are in, you've you've got to be you've got to be good if you really want to run with these guys. And gals. You could just be mediocre and play with me in the middle of the pack, though. I loved playing with you. <laughs> I sent you that picture, too, of um, uh, a kid made some fan art of our cars at Mid-Ohio. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, that was uh, probably the best battle I've ever had. It was kind of a three-way scrap between West Penn, yourself, yeah. and me. You guys... Uh, I had made a better tire choice than you. You had yes. more speed in the straight line than me, uh, but we were running like the exact same lap times. It was super fun. Yep. And then uh, Ben, Big Ben, and the RSX ruined my uh, ability at the going into China Beach to to hang with <laughs> you anymore any on that last lap. Uh, yeah, very last. Oh, dude, I've never ran for my life like through back half of any track like I did from Ben because I wanted to just stay in front of him. It was it yep. was a really, really fun one. So. Yeah, I had I think I had something like eight miles an hour on you at the end of the straights. And Dude, you had I, me I, everywhere I else. I to fifth. Like, I'd go to fifth, like, right about at the flag stand on the kink on the big straightaway. Yep. And then, like, <laughs> and then Scott would put, like, six car lengths on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a new experience for me this year, having uh, more power than people. So yeah, and, but you, you, had made, suck. you had made the choice to go out on your on your street slash rain tires, which are like Continentals or something. Um, yep. And I I had been too lazy to put my AR ones on, and they were cycled out anyway. So I just stayed on Hoosiers, and they were fresh. But then the track dried out. <laughs> yep. So I, yeah, those good. Continentals hated me by the end of. By about three laps to go, that's when they really fall off a cliff. Yeah, I once I saw that there were lines, uh, like uh, like a lot of lines on your tires, I was like, ooh, I see what he did. But <laughs> yep. I've got different colored wheels, too. So it's like if you see the black set on, those are the tires that get us to and from the track, and there are wet tires. And then if you see the bronze boys go on, those are our dry tires. And then if you see the black duct tape over your bumper, that means that Scott's uh, brakes are going to fail. <laughs> uh, dude, because if if we had been to any other track, um, that would have been really bad. Yeah, Gingerman's is the place to have brakes fail. You want to tell that story real quick? Sure. Um, Midwest Festival. We uh, we went out the first night, so it would have been race two. Uh, at night, it was raining, so we duct tape over the, the brake inlets to build more heat in the brakes just to get them in their operating temperatures more. And uh, the next day, we went out and forgot to take them off. So uh, going into turn five, turn six at Gentryman, I got a pretty noticeable shudder from the brakes and 
thought that was kind of weird. So going around nine, I braked early going into 10, kind of wanted to feel them out. And I had zero brake. And so I did my best to try to slow it down before I fell off the edge of the world on the outside of 10. And I think I probably did at least one 360 going down there, got it refired back on track. Definitely brake pedal wasn't right. Radioed Becky, told her I was coming in. We come in, immediately get the car up. We're looking around like, you know, brake fluids in there, the line, nothing's leaking. Um, all the bolts are in place. We're looking around and I go from one side to another and I look at the air dam and the, we had borrowed uh, duct tape and it was black duct tape on a black air dam. And so guess who went out and bought bright yellow duct tape uh, the was, next, the next day? Say, did, did you go buy the Hello Kitty duct tape next or something? So. Yeah, I'm, yeah, we are not doing that again. So, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely duct tape the, uh, the inlets, but yeah, to make it super obvious that that had been done. You, uh, yeah, that speaking was, of brakes, you had mentioned a couple of times like that you learned a bunch of stuff about brakes. Anything, uh, anything to share? Because you're running a StopTech setup right now. Um, yeah, yeah, I went with a an 11 inch uh, STR42 front brake kit, and I've got the Miata NB Miata Sport rear brakes, which has a larger rotor that everybody likes to use. It also has a larger uh, brake caliper on it. And the SCR 42 kit that I have came with larger pistons in it to kind of balance it. So I just like, fine, you know, yep, we're going to do that. And you, in a straight line, it stops pretty well. But as soon as you start to trail brake, the rear just, the car just wants to do a reverse entry, especially on, well, pretty much everywhere. It just wants to back it in. So basically I have to break a little bit earlier, more in a straight line, and I can't taper into the corners nearly as much as I want to because I found out that nobody really likes to use the sport rear caliper because of the piston size. When your piston size is too large or is larger, um, the amount of pressure and clamping force it can put is larger. So in a straight line, you, I've got a Willwood proportioning valve, so I can kind of dial it in in a straight line. But what I found out about the prop valve, and I don't think it's talked about nearly enough, so I'm going to say it here, is the proportioning valves only really work in near threshold breaking conditions. As soon as you, your line pressure comes off and you start to trail break, the proportioning valve effectively stops working. Interesting. And, and so you essentially revert back to your piston sizes and your brake calipers and your brake pad compound choice. Well, and basically because that's only restricting like peak pressure, correct? Like exa exactly. So, so like, yeah, middle pedal pressure is going to be the same until you get right up to the peak. Exactly. So in a straight line, it was great, but I knew I had to brake earlier because as soon as I came off, that extra piston area in the rear was just clamping too much. So I'm gonna be getting the smaller rear Miata uh, calipers that a lot of people use for this reason. Um, but the 
So, I mean, that was kind of new information and certainly the proportioning valve aspect of it because in a straight line, it was fine. But as soon as I came off the pedal, just weird stuff started to happen. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Good to know. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, you mentioned that this will be the last year for your car in One Lap of America. My presumption is that you'll continue running it in, one, uh, in GLTC. Um, what are your future plans for this car, and what car will you be doing One Lap of America in in the future? Sure. Yeah, um, the car's really it's pretty miserable on long road trips. Is it because you don't loud. have AC? It gets hot. I mean, you know, like we said, it doesn't have air conditioning. It's just, especially on a 10-hour transit, uh, going into the sunset, it can just be brutal. So, but we want to see, especially with the K-swap um, and the little bit of aero that we've done, stuff like that, just, we're, we're curious. We want to take it out one more time, give it a good go. Um, in the future, so... 2022 we are looking at getting a small group of cars together who want to go really slow but have a really good time so we're going to be joining the b-spec party for one lap 2022 we're hoping to get like somewhere between four and seven cars so like your honda fits your mazda 2 your chevy sonics um you know, really kind of aiming that low 20 to 1 power to weight. Spec fit and, territory? Yeah, exactly. Spec, spec fit driving is very fun. So I, I imagine that'll be a good trip. Yes. And they're pretty reliable. They're all slow. So we can have our own run group towards the back at the one lap and just, just have a grand old time. Um, but, yeah, the Miata will continue in GLTC. Uh, there's still refinement. Uh, there's a lot of driving, getting better at driving that I want and need to do. Uh, it just, you know, we've still got full doors in the thing. I've got power windows that we can take out. I can, we can lose about 150 pounds in the car pretty quickly. And still uh, be, but it, still be compliant? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're, you're uh, that far overweight. Yeah, especially with uh, the tire choice. I really want to be running a 200 weight or a 200 treadwear tire. And we're on 100s now, but we're going to we're going to shift back to 200. So it's really a tire choice and some you know, taking crap out that we really wouldn't need on the road, but that we just have to have if we're going to be driving this thing to and from the track. Well, I think it depends on who you talk to, but it it's uh I think it is James Houghton's belief that uh, right now the rules favor heavy cars. So um, nope. would, would you tend to agree? Uh, we'll see this year. I mean, the rule changes that you all made, I think, absolutely make it even more friendly to large cars. I don't think it's as street tire friendly as I think it can be, but I also don't have the data to back that up. Um, I just know for our car in particular, and I definitely don't want you guys to, you know, make the rules around my car. Even if we were to do the, you know, the work in getting 275s under the car, um, I'm, I, I think that 
equation would only work on certain tracks. I think Hoosiers are still for the Miatas, the easy. Hoosiers are hard. Hoosiers are hard to beat. That's the, that's part of the problem. Yes. yes um, yeah. I mean, we've had. We're speaking of like heavy versus light favor. We most people say that it favors lightweight cars. Uh, but yeah, uh, some people say it favors heavy cars. So I think. I don't uh, know. Even, yeah, even I, last, maybe we're balanced. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even even last year, um, seeing Chris Tuttle's car uh, around Road America. That's. That car was a front runner car, um, so I don't I don't think we can say that heavy cars aren't in the equation. I just think it's a lot of the track cars we we tend to see are lightweight cars, um, but that's in the time attack world. That's in the HPD world where it's easier to go faster if you lighten things up. But when you're power to weight. Uh, gets more distributed, I think that equation can move around quite a bit. I, I think the biggest thing that we're seeing uh, in any of the classes now is that um, you got to try, you got to try harder than you think you have to try to do well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the GLTC field, we, we essentially, granted we're running bigger fields and different drivers this year, but I did, we did a motor swap and bright kits and we are finishing about where we did in the pack <laughs> the first year of gltc versus the second year and that the competition just stepped up and we have an unbelievable field of talent in the driving ranks so the next question is um You've talked about the progression of this car and the development that you've done. Would you do every, Would you make the same decisions that you have made uh, if given a new opportunity, or would you do something a little bit differently? That's a good question. Um, like, even if I had the knowledge now, that I did at the beginning, I'm not sure I would have done much differently. Well, that's we pretty gratifying, isn't it? We, yeah, I, we really try to do our research and we really try to make decisions that we don't have to go back on because going back takes money <laughs> and buying more parts and that's just something we're not able to do. So everything's really researched as well as we possibly can without, you know, having firsthand knowledge of anything. I mean, really this, this break things, the first thing that hasn't been satisfactory, but that wasn't the front brakes problem. Um, that was just our lack of knowledge about what the setup would do with the rear brakes. So that's barely going back. That's just learning something and needing to make a change. So by and large, no, I think um, I think the car's been car's been good. It's been reliable. We've we've had a had a few snafus towards the beginning of the case swap thing, and uh, you know we got all those sorted out. I mean, the car's just been car's been good, except for a recent alternator. <laughs> Except for a, uh, a remand alternator that uh, didn't want to do alternator things. So uh, next question might be the subject 
and an opportunity to, for you to plug your own podcast. But a question that Adam and I want to know is this hobby is very, very hard. Um, what does it for you? Why do you do this? So I'll do just a super brief bio without getting super detailed. Um, about six, seven years ago, um, was probably the worst year or two in my life and was going through a lot of really, really profound traumas and difficulties. And my dad and I had always been into cars. I'd always wanted to go racing. It always been one of those things. And so even after that time, the next two or three years was me just needing to live super restricted and super tight budget wise, just kind of everything, just trying to get my life on path, so to speak. And I've, I had saved up a little bit of money, had always wanted to do the race car thing. Like I said, um, my dad and I were supposed to have done the one lap 15 years before I did. Um, we never took the opportunity and unfortunately he died several years ago. So he and I weren't able to do it together. And I just decided to do something for myself after living for at least two to three years, having to play by everybody else's rules and by having to live up to everyone else's expectations. And I wanted something I didn't have to be accountable to anybody else for something that I wasn't going to keep track of the budget. I, if I could afford something, I'd buy it. If not, I wouldn't. Um, and so this car and this goofy, super hard hobby, um, has really been the outlet for me for the last three or four years three years, I think, um, to just have creative control in my own life and to have an outlet where I can do something I want to do for no other reason than I want to do it. And that it, even though I will curse it sometimes that brings me a stupid amount of joy, you know, and allows me to meet some of the best people, um, I've met. So and, to, to add yeah. to that, um, I think you could get, uh, you could get that outlet from other hobbies. What is it about driving and racing on track that specifically scratches that particular edge? Sure. Like I said, part of it was just, I've always wanted to do it. Um, I was, Older. I was over 30 when I picked up the hobby, so I'm definitely a latecomer. Always wanted to do it. And when you're on track, again, you're not, you don't really answer to anybody else. Except for Adam, in, the track lord. It, <laughs> that's only after the fact. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're just out there. It's that state of flow that you hopefully can get in where time functionally stops. It takes all your effort, all your concentration, but 
you're just floating and you're listening to what the car and the tires are telling you and you're just making the car dance and then you bring wheel to wheel into it for me and you're making you're doing all that with the car but with four people on your bumpers and your doors making the same choreographed dance and you can call it jazz music you whatever it is but it's that creative community on track doing the same thing and trying to do it as best as you can and hope that your best is hopefully gets you a, a result that you're hoping for. It's, it is super complicated, but it is super rewarding. Yeah, I can, I can kind of see that, right? Because um, you're, of course, you're competing against the other drivers, but there is this um, agreement among competitors that, uh, you know, if, if someone just attempted to uh, make contact and take you out, they run the risk of taking themselves out in the process, right? So sure. uh, going too wide or three wide through a corner is a like uh, kind of a shared agreement and respect to say that like, we're going to work hard to make sure that we don't take each other out because we think that uh, in order to gain advantage for ourselves, we also need to make sure that we don't ruin your day. Yes. And it's, you know, I, for me, it's that line between individual and communal freedoms you have all the freedoms you want to until you're trying to share space on a racetrack with another car. And then all of a sudden, like you said, there needs to be an agreement. There needs to be something, some sort of shared language, shared. Culture today, when you want to play physics. And to not share creating immunities and me it's the best like i'm not out there doing an individual performance out there wheel to wheel gltc racing is a team sport and in order to do the best gltc races out there it takes every woman and man in a car out on that track wherever it is to put on the best show we can together because if one person goes out there they could wreck shop and we've gotten close but it hasn't happened and I'm going to work my butt off to try to be sure that it's not me that does it and that we set the tone that it's hopefully nobody else. We did have to have a little bit of a talk after uh, the last one with you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, that was one of those really, it was really tough. I was, I was leading a GLTC race for a hot second and was in the blind spot of a guy um, that I've competed with in the one lap of America and a lot of respect for, and he had no idea I was there, but I wanted to be there. And we made contact, and I was doing everything I could to give him space, but I was still there in his blind spot. And I wasn't, and, I wasn't like super mad at you, but I was just like, Hey man, I don't know if I would have gone there. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the weird, honest. that's that, that's that weird, like fine line of like, uh, do you, do you go for it? Do you know, uh, 
there's there's still a little bit of a coin flip sometimes, you know, especially in a uh, a beginning of a race scrap like that, um, where yeah, it, uh, sometimes you gotta if you want it, you might get lucky, but sometimes you might not get lucky. So yeah, and and a driver, to be honest, I hadn't driven around a whole lot, um, which again, that's probably on me for putting the car where it was um i'm i'm not going to go the route of you know i was alongside so i'm owed that space i don't think that's true um and it it sucks and it happens and yeah i mean the i basically asked you like what could i have done like i i had my car as far over as it would go and not have two wheels fully in the grass and you simply said i wouldn't have put my car next to it in the first place or, you know, think about if that's where you want to be and you're totally right. Well, and, but I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm a little bit more conservative in some of that stuff, like where I'm a little bit more reserved, uh, than many wheel to wheel racers. And my success record is, uh, small because of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, sometimes it's a judgment call and a roll of the dice and, um, you know, you never do know. Luckily you guys didn't have any like big damage or anything. Uh, sure. tire rubs and a couple of dents and stuff like maybe i don't even know if you guys had dents but um but you I, went off I, into, you went off into the grass so. i know i know their car got a rocker panel dent um yeah but yeah i mean i went from you know whatever second place back to eighth instantly um and yeah i mean it kind of sucks i i wanted to be there because you know i wanted to try to stay on the outside around the, the very far end at NOLA to try to get a run. But, you know, it, it happened and it sucks. And, um, you know, I, I know I learned something from it. So, well, that's all, all I can do is to do my best and to do better. So the last question is really just kind of a final thoughts. Um, you know, what, Given given everything that you've done uh, with your car and your build and your competition thus far, what do you want other people to take away from your experience in prepping and building this car? It, it always comes back to the people that you have around you. For me, um, we are very religious with our use of data in terms of tire data data review from our apex pro um we try to watch video that's that doesn't get used very much at the track just because of time because we're trying to do i'm trying to do instructor things and you know becky's looking after the car in between stuff um it's just study the car take your time um and for beginners, my advice is always the same, is don't don't mod your car outside of brakes before you come to a track. Um, you know, I, I see people just constantly essentially making excuses that no, my car is not ready or I really want to put coilovers on before I go to the track. And you, it does not help you to wait and parts do not make you a faster driver. Um, experience helps. Friends help. Coaching helps. Um, so that'd be my advice for beginners. And then, you know, I, I couldn't have 
made it as far as I, as I have without Becky, um, world's greatest crew chief, in my opinion. Um, she's always there doing data, looking at, uh, weather with our, <laughs> our friend who lives in Norway, uh, who likes to also do like data and engineering reviews with us between sessions and stuff. Um, it's just good to have friends, Ethan helping us out in between sessions when we need it. Um, all the K Miata guys, Emil, um, I blew up his Facebook messages so much, uh, doing the K swap and, you know, you guys with slip angle and hopefully with, um, the track walking podcast that I'm doing with Seth and the one lap, it's just, it's good to have good people around you. And the, some of the best things I've ever done in a professional sense or in my personal life have to be, have been to put the best people I can around me. Um, makes you look like a superstar and just makes everything better. So it's, it's less really about what car to build and stuff like that. It's just, just get good people around you. Right on. Well, uh, if you don't have any closing thoughts beyond that, uh, I want to thank you yeah. for being on the lunch breakdown. This was very fun. Yeah. Adam, do you have you any saw... final questions? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Good, uh, good job. Great listening in. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for uh, working with my schedule. I know it was kind of <laughs> not, not much notice for this one. And we had to work with Abe's schedule too because he's dealing with the van. Abe's doing better, by the way. Yeah, which is good, right? Yeah, I'm I'm doing better. Uh, yeah. You would not believe the amount of coughing and hacking I had to edit out of the last episodes. Um, <laughs> uh, it was it was borderline disgusting when I heard it. I was like, "Geez, out! I smell. I, I sound <laughs> terrible." Yeah, you, yeah. you discovered uh, Abe discovered that hitting the mute button only muted it for us, and he still recorded his coughs. <laughs> It was awful. That's, I, I really did sound like I was going to die. So were you uh, muting it? Were you muting it on the Facebook chat that we were doing? Or? No, uh, the board. Um, okay. The board mixes all your different audio channels and sends that as uh, uh, an output file. And so when you hit mute, it will uh, mute the mix. But each individual channel, everything is recorded all the time. Still recording. And yeah. so um, when I okay. put the show together, I do it by putting the individual channels uh, into the, the audio recorder so that I can edit each individual channel. Um, but that means that all the coughs and hacks came through. <laughs> yeah, Seth, Seth and I have realized when we, when we do our interviews for the podcast, we we really are starting to recognize the need for a board. Um, just trying to get three, getting two separate calls to mix works. Okay. Most of the time three is three or more is hard. Yeah, man. I, I really can't recommend this board enough. Um, it's expensive. It's $600, uh, but it is incredible and it makes these uh, remote calls really easy. So yep. Adam and I are, in fact, rarely in the same place. And so doing shows with you or other folks that are all in separate locations, much easier. Yeah. 
yeah, we're, we, we've got to be sure that the investment's going to be worth it, that we're going to, you know, keep doing the podcast. It's something we really want to make that investment in, but it's, well, these boards are pretty see... popular. If you were ever going to give up on this, I would imagine selling one of these on eBay would not be hard. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure, sure if we, when, when we quit next week, we'll sell you ours. How about that? <laughs> Uh, we're what we, we're approaching 400 episodes, Adam. We're like in the yeah, what 30, are we at? 376, I think. That's too many. That's enough. <laughs> I think I think we got to 10. That's hey, man, almost that's like as many as time with attackers. Yeah. 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 And I think we have more recorded already recorded than they've uh, than they've done. All right, I only well, give so, them crap because I want them to do more. Yeah, so. well, uh, they haven't done a whole lot of time attacking recently, you know, no, they in, haven't. Uh, in their international competitions. So we we hope that they can come back in 2021. Though it's uh, I think I think uh, I think we'll hear a lot of A's and uh, and stories in 2021. I think it's going to be the best year ever. I hope. I'm excited. Well, uh, happy Friday, boys. Have a good weekend. Happy Friday. And we'll uh, talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pit City Grid Live to say hello. Hello.